Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne France. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France, and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military-affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Joe Lewis, founder and CEO of Angels of America's Fallen. Later, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, Prep Connect 360. On this week's Insight segment of the show, I'm going to be talking about the concept of post-traumatic growth. Our show is brought to you by the Family Care Center, the community's leading provider of outpatient behavioral health for service members, veterans, and their families. Those who serve our country deserve the best that their community can offer. When it comes to mental health and wellness, it's important for them to work with someone that they can trust and can understand the unique challenges and needs related to mental health. Whether you're looking for individual counseling, couples counseling, or management and consultation regarding mental health medications, you'll find what you need at the Family Care Center. Take some time to focus on you by going to fcsprings.com and allow our family to care for your family. On today's Insights into the Military Mind, I'd like to talk about a concept that is another outcome of exposure to traumatic events, post-traumatic growth. There's been much discussion of the adverse effects on exposure to trauma and combat by veterans, and rightly so. In an all-volunteer force, citizens join the military of their own free will with varying degrees of understanding about what they may face. Sometimes, the reality of what happens in combat doesn't match what many service members expect before they get there, and reality tends to set in pretty quickly. What is less often talked about but recognized by many service members is the concept of post-traumatic growth. Literally, the experience of significantly traumatic events can and often does generate strength within a service member or veteran. To put it more succinctly, almost verging on a cliche, is the old Nietzsche quote, whatever doesn't kill me makes me stronger. There's a significant number of resources available regarding post-traumatic growth. Dr. Martin Seligman wrote about post-traumatic growth in his book Flourish with some excellent examples from Brigadier General Rhonda Cornum, a Gulf War POW. Doctors Tedeschi and Calhoun have a lot of great information on their website regarding post-traumatic growth and are leading researchers in the study of the effects of post-traumatic growth. The key for service members, veterans, and their families is understanding how post-traumatic growth has been seen in their own experiences. The things that we witnessed, the things that we experienced, don't need to be crippling, debilitating events that screw our lives up. They can be, and often are, significantly life-changing events that build our life up. Veterans understand, intuitively, that the traumatic events that they experience can impact them, but a lack of awareness can lead to a downward spiral that can cause a veteran more harm than good. As humans, in our daily experience, our well-being exists somewhere on a continuum between functional and dysfunctional. Many different things cause a shift along that continuum, but for veterans, exposure to major traumatic events without a beneficial response to these events can cause significant decline. 
So consider someone who starts out in any given point on the spectrum between functional and dysfunctional. How they get there is an accumulation of their life experience. As we progress in life, trauma occurs. If that trauma impacts us negatively, we start to decline. Perhaps we start to use unhelpful coping techniques, drinking to forget, engaging in unstable relationships in order to feel connected to someone. Typically, these unhelpful coping techniques lead to another disrupted life event, a DUI, a bar fight, a broken relationship. This causes us to continue to engage in a cycle of unhelpful coping techniques, perhaps leading to more disruptive life events, loss of employment, loss of stable housing. The pattern of disruptive life events followed by unhelpful coping techniques can cause a veteran to end up lower on the spectrum between functional and dysfunctional than when they started. Consider the alternative, however. If, after the initial traumatic event, the veteran acknowledges the event and acknowledges the changes inside them, becomes aware of the effect that the traumatic event has on their beliefs about the world and their place in it, it's possible that the event can cause them to grow rather than decline. This growth can happen even if a series of events has caused a decline into dysfunction. It'd be much better for a veteran and those around them for the decline not to occur, but it's never too late to experience post-traumatic growth until it is too late. If you're a veteran and you're experiencing a series of difficult events in your life after transitioning out of the military, it's understandable, it's common, and even somewhat expected. Whatever challenges we face, however, are opportunities for us to improve, to grow, to succeed, if we choose to see them as such. Post-traumatic stress disorder is sometimes seen as a debilitating and all too often terminal condition. It doesn't have to be this way. Coming out the other side of trauma with all of the scars, tears, pain, and blood associated with it can be a source of strength. Service members and veterans need to recognize, cultivate, and utilize that strength within ourselves. Individual strength can then be connected with others, and collectively, we can make a real difference in the lives of other service members and veterans. So what does post-traumatic growth look like? How do we know that we've grown, become stronger after a traumatic event? According to Tedeschi and Calhoun, this is indicated by positive increases in one or more of the following areas. First, appreciation for life. This is something that you might hear many veterans say after a time of hardship. Things seem better after getting through it. We come to appreciate life in a way that we hadn't before. The people around us, our community, the world in general. We realize how precious things are in some ways because we understand what it would be like to lose them. A second area is relationships with others. This can mean strengthening meaningful relationships, but also ending relationships that aren't helpful or beneficial. Regardless of whether we want to be or not, humans are social animals. We need other people, and we need to have positive influences in our lives as well as be a positive influence in the lives of others. A positive increase in the quality and number of positive relationships is an indicator of post-traumatic growth. Often, people experiencing post-traumatic growth find new possibilities in life. It's extremely hard to see the top of the mountain if our eyes are on the tops of our shoes. But once we pick our eyes up and start to look around, we may see new possibilities, a different career field or another community, something different than what we are doing or have been doing. A commonly understood component of post-traumatic growth is increased personal strength, physical strength, emotional strength, cognitive strength. We don't know what we can do until we're tested, and once we've been tested, we can recognize our ability to match that test. We got through something that we didn't know we could get through and came out the other side. And finally, many who experience a traumatic event and then increase strength afterwards undergo a spiritual change. They find that their faith in a higher power, however they define it to themselves, is increased by their challenging experiences. Maybe it's connecting to a new faith tradition, reconnecting to a previous faith tradition, or maybe it's just connecting to more existential themes of oneness and connectedness with the world around us. 
Post-traumatic growth isn't going to manifest in each of these areas, but it's going to be demonstrated by positive increases in some of them. And there are organizations in our community who support and enhance post-traumatic growth, such as my guest today. So I'm glad to be able to share some of these insights with you. Agree? Disagree? It'd be great to hear your thoughts. Share them with us by dropping an email to militarymind at FCCSprings.com. Today's interview segment is with Joe Lewis, a husband, father, and retired lieutenant colonel with 25 years of service across three separate branches of the military. After retiring from the Air Force, Joe founded Angels of America's Fallen in 2013 to help ensure the children of America's Fallen military, police, fire, and EMS personnel have the support that they need during their crucial childhood developmental years to write their own stories of success. Let's get into my conversation with Joe and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So as founder and CEO of Angels of America's Fallen, I'd like to hear about your journey from being a career Air Force officer to founding an organization to support the children of fallen service members and first responders. So I had a really weird career. It actually started with the Army National Guard right out of high school, and I did that uh, field artillery through throughout college and then the Marine Corps for 11 years and uh, worked closely with the Navy, did carrier operations with them during that time. And then uh, I broke my back in the Marine Corps, ended up getting out. And shortly after 9-11, I went back active duty with the Air National Guard. And so 10 years of that with, uh, with active time and ended up retiring Air Force. So in that process, I worked with guys from every branch and I lost friends in every branch. Mm-hmm. And it was always a great guy with little bitty kids. Uh, two of my buddies in the Marine Corps had kids on the way they didn't get to meet. And it really impacted me on how are we supporting the kids while they're kids because they were so young and i looked around and i could see you know a summer camp or a short fun outing or scholarships once they became young adults but what i didn't see was something for them while they're growing up without the guidance and support of that mentor through their most crucial formative childhood years on an ongoing basis you know what what are we what are we doing for them to keep them from becoming withdrawn and depressed or running with the wrong crowd after school and getting into trouble that these days you can't recover from as easily as when i was a knucklehead kid growing up and you you could so the the transition from the the career into this really came down to one day I was at the soccer field with my sons and watching them and looking at the fun they were having. And it was actually championship games and they both won. They were you know, on two different teams, but their teams both won. And I looked at their interaction with the other kids and with the coaches and thought, you know, if I wasn't here, I'd want to make sure that they were still getting to do things like this. But it's expensive, especially if you get into travel soccer mm-hmm. or, or competitive sports or arts. one. A couple of kids. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so that day it was, this is what I want to make sure that kids of our fallen are able to access and if nobody else is doing it then i guess i'm the one that's supposed to do it so there was not uh, this wasn't a logical step for me and i'm not the guy that i would have picked to go start a nonprofit because it wasn't in my wheelhouse at all but when i realized that uh, this is what i believe i'm supposed to do then i started educating myself and first book I read was Why Nonprofits Fail, because I knew this mission was going to outlast me. And if we made commitments to kids, then we needed to be able to honor them. And the best way to do that is to make sure that everything was formed properly. And then I went to UCCS and got a master's in public administration, and I did three graduate certificates in nonprofit development and management and program evaluation. So the transition for me was one where I felt compelled to do it more than an interest and certainly not a background. It wasn't the next logical flow for me based on the career path or whatever. So uh, so mine was a little bit different. 
know, it's interesting, and you talk about this, um, you know, the military is a young man's game, right? I mean, you and I are are out on the other side of it, but, um, you know, the Marine Corps, and you said you served in the Marine Corps. I think the average age of the Marine Corps is 21 or 22, right? It's early 20s. Um, and, and so it's very young, but they also marry young. I think yeah. uh, 80% of, of service members are married and have children by the time that they're they're 25. And, of course, those were the ones that were deploying and yeah. then, again, losing their lives. I think when I started deploying Iraq, my, my kids were in kindergarten and, right, you know, could have been exactly in that age group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, again, this is this idea of we're, we're talking about those that – we lose and, and honoring the heroes that are lost, but often don't think about the secondary impacts of gold star wives, parents, siblings, and especially children. Absolutely. Yep. You know, there, there tends to be a fair amount of support for the family initially after loss or, or a little more thought on transitioning veterans, but not so much on the families after the loss happens, you know, and if they've got to vacate base housing and, uh, and if it's a young kid and they're going to, to school on the base, you know, they lose a house they lose their friends, they lose their school, and then maybe they move back to where the, the mom was from. And a lot of times that's not the right fit anymore because if you've been from somewhere else and you go back home, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. And it might be to a community that has no military presence and nobody that could that can really kind of understand to a degree what they're going through or what they've been through. So a lot of them will tend to go back maybe to the favorite duty station or, um, or maybe the last one, but then they get there and the unit has turned over, but they're not part of the unit and it doesn't feel right. So, so the families, yeah, it, it's a tough road for them because all of a sudden the resources that were there for them at the very beginning are, are gone. And that's when the dust settles, and, you know, and I think most of the, most of these surviving parents and can be dads, most of our families are, are moms that are there, um, but they're not processing all the resources and the stuff that's provided to them at the beginning, they're in shock. Mm -hmm. And that shock can last a long time. They also go into survival mode and don't deal with their own grief. Generally, they they go into taking care of the basics for their kids and the bigger decisions, but they don't get around to uh, dealing with their grief until later. And then when they're looking around, there's not much there for them. And I think, and in, in this is a challenge, um, after catastrophic loss, after after we lose somebody, you know, grief doesn't end up. I think when, uh, and I did some work uh, training as a casualty assistance officer, casualty notification officer in the military, right? And, and there is this idea that 18 months to two years after, um, but what you're talking about is, is kids that may lose their parents, um, first responders or military, when they're young, right? But then there's different stages that they Absolutely. have to grow through, right? I mean, what they what we enjoyed when we're five is much different than what we enjoyed when we're 12. Exactly, you know, and that was a big part of when we enroll a child, we make a long-term commitment to stick with them all the way up to 19 years old. We wanna make sure they're fully out of high school and, and, and into adulthood. And it was based on two things. One was if we got them into sports or arts or some healthy activity that they wanted to do but couldn't otherwise, and it becomes an identity level thing for them. You know, it's their passion, it's their thing. And then if we say, good luck, reapply next year, maybe you can keep doing it. Well, that, that doesn't really work. And we didn't want to just have them get started in something and then lose it. It's a, it's a significant loss. And the other part was exactly that, that the dust doesn't settle and they've got a new normal that stays their normal. They are developing, they're changing, and it impacts them differently at different stages of maturity. You know, like a, a five-year-old or a three-year-old doesn't know that death is permanent. It hits them again really hard when that that you know when they get that and so on and so on and of course there's anniversary events and seeing a soldier coming home and surprising his family and there's birthdays and there's the 16 year old girl that 
starts thinking about marriage and dad's not going to be there to walk her down the aisle and so on and so on. So, yeah, you know, it that hole will always be there for them their entire life, but they're least equipped to handle it while they're kids. And this is what I've always valued about Angels of America's Fallen is is you you do one thing, right? You, you know, you help kids with soccer and a bunch of different things. We'll get to that in a minute. But really what you do is you help them through those developmental stages, right? I mean, yeah. uh, again, you, you process grief differently, and it has to be reprocessed at 7 and then at 12 and then at 15 and then again at 25. Right? I mean, as we, yeah. we continue to go on, losing that parent in such a way becomes a, a part of their life. Um, but that's one thing that – it, it, was that something that you anticipated at the beginning, or is that something that kind of emerged out of the work that you were doing? It emerged. Yeah. No, I, I didn't. I wasn't that forward thinking, right? I'm not that bright, but it, it became apparent pretty quickly as, you know, when we are looking to help the kids, really, we're talking to mom the most because it's talking to them and seeing what does the child want to do. And then when we find out what they want to do, well, then what activity provider can they get back and forth to in their community? Who do they vet? Who do they want their child to go to? So, you know, when we're making calls, we're not calling the child and saying, how are you doing? Um, at least the first conversation isn't like that. So, yeah, it was it was in conversation with the parents and realizing and hearing from them and having kids from all different ages enroll as well. And so how long have you been uh, doing this with Angels America's Fallen? We're in our ninth year. And so over that time, um, obviously, your, your programs have expanded and things like that. But um, I can imagine that listening to your parents, they're the ones with lived experience, right? I mean, you and I, again, have lost brothers and sisters, but they're the ones that have lost the closest thing to them, uh, the spouse, the parent of their children. Um, how has listening to them helped you develop different ways of doing what you're doing? It's been, it's been very significant in, in helping us do that because – we learn something different from each family and each family's grief is different. Each family's story of loss is a little bit different. Sometimes the ugliness happens after the loss, actually, you know, between cracks in the system that they fall through for support or family members coming out of the woodwork thinking that they won the lottery and they're going to, you know, get some of that money from them and, and things like that. But it, it in conversations with moms, when you hear things about their concern of their kids getting labeled as a, a child with PTSD or um, having some developmental challenges or whatever their things may be. And they don't want their kids to be labeled with something because their reaction to the grief is normal. You know, it's not, it's not an illness that they've got. It's, uh, it's a normal process to go through this. And um, it's easy for kids to get labeled something and think that they're not normal or others to think they're not normal and treat them differently. So, yeah, in that process of, of interacting with our, our families and also networking our families. You know, we, we make connections between the widows and, and connect those who have been through something similar and are further down their grief journey and they can help the other ones coming through. So a lot to learn about that. And, um, and that translated into developing some additional programs that we do. One of them is our Voices program. And that's to let the parents and the children tell their stories to help us help more kids. And that came about from, from seeing and hearing them talk about their loss and, and noticing a different in them a difference in them after they talked about it with us because they're tearing open wounds but we know like working out in the gym you make tears in your muscles and you grow back stronger well we see that with them as well so when they tell their story they're opening these wounds but then they they heal a little bit and there's healing and helping so when they know that they're helping us help other people then we see the kids stand up taller and we see you know we just, it's just really amazing with especially with public speaking being a primary fear for most people uh, we've had kids stand in front of a crowd of 3,000 people 
and talk and, and do a tremendous job. Uh, particularly, we had a little girl, and it was on the anniversary, third year anniversary of her father's suicide. And she wanted to speak that day and thank the crowd because they were uh, supporting us. It was a conference that had picked us as the charity for it. And I really, you saw her standing up taller, and the crowd really reacted well to it. And uh, she was like a celebrity. They were all coming up to see her afterwards, and it was just really powerful. And it, it definitely amazing seeing the work that you've been doing. And so we've been talking about the benefits of it. But maybe it'll be helpful for people to understand exactly what you do. You mentioned uh, some of the things as far as like helping your sons through soccer. Um, but can you tell us more specifically what Angels of America's Fallen does? Absolutely. So it's a long-term engagement, keeping the kids involved in something positive. So it's more than just paying for soccer or swimming or, or whatever. It's that long-term commitment to stay engaged with them and bring them into a family. So the first thing I want them to know, when they register, they get a letter from me, and, and I explain that there are really good people out there that are donating to see them engaged in their activity that they choose. They're writing their own story of their, you know, their own path. path. Um, so we honor the loss and sacrifice of their parent, but we're doing this for them to find their positives and their possibilities and focus on those. And, you know, if mom or dad was killed by a bad guy, it's really important for them to know there are a lot of good people out there. They could otherwise filter this through that the world's full of bad people. Mm -hmm. And they're out there, but there are many more good people, so we want to make sure they know that. Um, But it's getting them in whatever their activity is and then keeping them engaged in it. So, like, it's let's say if they choose piano, then we would, you know, the parent, that's who they want their child to go to. They tell us we register the child at that place for the parent. It was also designed to be very simple for the busy, overwhelmed single parent and make it, uh, make it as easy as possible to, one, register. Um, qualification is extremely simple. It's mom or dad gave all. That's all it takes because it doesn't matter to the child if it was a suicide or if it was a combat fatality or a training accident. So it doesn't matter to us at all. Um, and then we, we make the payment. And then we follow up with the family to say, well, how are they doing? Is it their thing? You know, is, is it really an interest for them? Because if it's not, we want them to keep trying until they find it. And let's say they find something, and, and let's say that it's baseball. It's seasonal. So we're calling and seeing how they're doing. And then at the end of baseball season, we're saying, okay, between now and next baseball season, what are you going to do? And encouraging them to stay in, involved in something. So there's that part. We, we basically do case management of these families. We get to know them. We also network with other organizations that do things we don't because we're, we're very focused in this one area, but we want to know and make sure they know about other opportunities. So we connect them with other, other uh, programs that might do different things. And then the, the mentoring um, through peer, peer mentoring, that's a really big one. That's uh, something where I didn't expect this part either. But when we started getting our families together, what we saw was the kids instantly click and they don't talk about the loss. They just click and they're playing and they're having a great time. Um, a lot of times, the, the, you know, a healthy way to deal with grief and trauma and other kinds of stuff uh, is a sense of humor. And sometimes maybe even a dark sense of humor, but we get the families together. The moms are laughing. The kids are laughing and playing. And then we see some of that, some of that, um, the mentoring part of it coming through is like, I've been through this, or did you know about this? Or here's what I ran into with this. And, and those kind of connections are really, uh, I think, probably a great impact for the mom. And, um, you know, we've, again, it started focusing on the kids, but didn't realize how impactful it was going to be for that remaining parent. 
And so it's not just, um, you know, paying for Taekwondo classes, no. right? I mean, it's right. because, again, as parents, we know that there's all the accoutrements, right? All oh, of yeah. the, the gear that goes along with everything and baseball season I mean, all this other stuff. So it's not just I'm going to sign you up for this and make it easy. Um, you provide support for pretty much to, for them to do all of that that they want to be able to do. Yeah. So um, we've, we've paid for art supplies and uniforms. We've paid for uh, – we had a local uh, local boy here that was doing lacrosse um, – not lacrosse, um, rugby. And he got picked to go and, and play in Ireland. And that was something the family couldn't do. We were able to help with that and help help them go and have that experience. And those kinds of things, you know, you're, you're broadening horizons. You're, you're getting somebody out to see something and, uh, and a perspective of, well, what's it like here in the United States versus other places and how bad or how good do we have it here kind of a thing. So there, there's a lot. It's, it's much more broad than it initially might seem. And, and you've mentioned some, some local kids, and, and of course you're here in the Pikes Peak region, but um, the support that you provide isn't just locally. I mean, you provided support nationally. Absolutely, yep, from the very beginning, because these kids are distributed all across the country and are U.S. territories as well. So it was no matter where they are, we want to support them. And if that's a, um, you know, a kid in Puerto Rico and diving is their thing, or it doesn't matter where they are, but whatever their thing is, um, you know, we want to see them doing that in their local community. And that's a big part of it, too is you know when you build stronger kids you're helping build stronger communities especially when we're supporting those small businesses so when there's an art studio and we're providing the payment to them for a, a child that otherwise wouldn't be going there we're also helping that small business owner um, and i think you know when you look at it from a local perspective a lot of donors want to see their impact be local and, and we absolutely honor that we've got more kids in colorado springs than anywhere else but they're all across the nation. In fact, we've got two kids in South Africa right now that were out of Aurora, but they ended up moving to South Africa because the mom had some family there, and we're supporting them there. And and so it's it's nationwide, um, but also you'd mentioned, and, and I know you and I have talked about this before, a lot of my focus being on suicide prevention, but it doesn't matter um, the manner of death. Um, right. You know, uh, it doesn't matter how the child lost their parent. Um, a large number of, or, or I, if I recall, a significant number of your families uh, do have a parent who died by suicide. That's right. It's about a quarter of the total number of kids that we support nationwide right now. And initially, it was a higher percentage because when we first started this, uh, the word went pretty quickly throughout the community, the widow community, that uh, we were saying yes when a lot of other organizations say no to suicides. Mm -hmm. You know, so um, so we had more initially sign up, and our percentage was about a third. And then as we've had more families over the years, it, yeah, it's about a 25% thing. But then, of course, and again, this is you and I have talked about this. You're actually breaking the cycle because those who are exposed to a death by suicide, especially immediate family member, are at greater risk for, for suicide themselves. But by ensuring that these kids have connectedness and, and meaning and purpose in a chosen activity, um, you're also engaging in suicide prevention. That's one of those second and third order effects. It is. Absolutely, it is. There's a resiliency piece to this that, uh, you know, these kids are, whether it's suicide or not, just they're still at greater risk of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, dropping out of school, and suicide. And, you know, teen suicide is a national problem in in uh, normal fa or i don't say normal families but in families with both parents or other circumstances so yeah this group is, is particularly at higher risk and we never want to lose a single child because their parent made the ultimate sacrifice for our country and community so that that is a big thing for us 
And the other thing that I've always really valued about Angels of America's Fallen is that people may hear it, um, it but it's not just military service members, right? It's it's yeah. a wide range. So um, talk to us a little bit about the the type of families that you support. Yep. So it's military and first responders. So uh, police, fire, EMS personnel, those uh, you know who who are taking risks right here at home, and they're also suffering trauma. You know, the, this most people are probably familiar with a twenty two a day number for veteran suicides, but in our first responder community, suicide is a is a very big problem as well. And so, yeah, we we support those families uh, absolutely fully as well. And, you know, there's a lot of veterans that become first responders and a lot of guardsmen and reservists, but, but that's not, a, um, that's not a, a consideration for us. It just, we see that a lot, but no military service is required. And, and so, and, and again, not just suicide or combat death, but any death, a, a natural illness. But um, so uh, any child who loses a parent who's one of these, and these are inherently dangerous occupations, right? I mean, yeah. even in combat or out of combat, you broke your back in the Marine Corps, yeah. right? Not That's in, right. And so it, it is a, these are physically dangerous occupations. Of course, we know that EMS first responders, even healthcare workers at this point are, are really putting themselves in danger. Yeah. And so it's, these are the children of those that have chosen a certain of their community that you that you've chosen to serve that's exactly it yes this is really great uh, you're listening to inside the military mind with me your host Dwayne france my guest today is joe lewis founder and ceo of angels of america's fallen now losing a family member in the line of duty or as a result of service whether in the military or first responder can be challenging for families like you're talking about and children especially um you've talked a little bit but what are some success stories that you've heard in the the past nine years that you've been doing this there's a lot there's a lot and that's one of the best parts of the long-term commitment is that we get to know the families and we see the progress and we we see the improvement and wow there are there are a lot of them um you know just recently with a local family where the father was was in the army and he had been living by the burn pits and he ended up with Lou Gehrig's disease and um, normally that's about a two-year life expectancy but for them it was only about four and a half months Mm. before he passed away at home and the boys were were pretty young at the time and we did an interview with them just before Memorial Day and um, you know they've been doing hockey with us and they're, uh, that's their thing. They love it, and uh, and they're pretty good at it, and so that's pretty cool. But one of the, you know, this is a different version of success. They have been engaging with a coach, and they've been doing something that, that they really enjoy, and, it, and they've got a positive attitude in doing that, and they're learning teamwork, and they're learning a lot of things. But um, one of the questions that they were asked was, was basically um, – you know, the, the question's not, not the big part. Actually, their answer, the answer is the important part, and it really blew me away. They were talking about how they feel very blessed that they got to know their father because they know other kids in our program that didn't even ever get to know their parent. And so when they could be bitter about this, instead they were very positive uh, about it and just blessed that they got to know their dad and that they were and hockey was one of the things that he enjoyed and you know so we see that a lot a lot of them want to do something where there was a connection with their dad maybe it was uh, uh you know playing guitar because their dad played guitar or that kind of stuff and sometimes it's completely different where they don't share interests but um i think that's a big success when you when you can go through this and not have a victim mentality that can be a a huge difference in the quality of life for them the rest of their life so so there's one um, we had we had a really interesting one where 
there was an Air Force F-16 pilot who was supporting some of our special ops guys on the ground, and they were getting overrun and probably weren't going to make it out that night. And he was out of bombs, and so he was strafing using the gun, and he ended up having target fixation and, and crashed into the ground. And when he crashed, the insurgents went to the crash site to see what they could recover. And by him dying, he actually saved those guys because the insurgents went away and, the, and our guys got out. And his remains were never recovered or weren't recovered. So the family didn't even have, you know, dad to bury and that kind of stuff. And he had five kids. We supported them. Um, they were on our waiting list for a little while. When we called to say, hey, we can move your kids off the waiting list, the timing was, was pretty amazing in that the, the mom had just been told by the VA that she had been overpaid and they were going to stop future payments until it was recouped and she was reliant on those monthly payments. And uh, for her oldest son, soccer was the only thing he had shown an interest in since his father had passed. And he had made it to the level where he could go on the uh, travel team and it was expensive and she was going to have to tell him that day that he couldn't do it and when we called and said hey we can you know get your kids going we, yeah we'll pay for his travel soccer um, he ended up getting a, a college scholarship for soccer went to southern methodist university on that and um, he came back and was our keynote speaker last year at our angel gala and so he's he, again with that voices program and telling his story and talking about the impact and letting our donors and sponsors know the impact they're having and how important it was in his life and the coaching and and having that focus on soccer. And for him, it was really important because mom really needed to spend her time assisting the younger kids. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to go off and, and, and go and do soccer and still get some things that he needed through that process while mom was busier with the younger kids. And small world stuff too. Um, you, know, you never know the connections that can build through these kinds of things, but the, uh, the, the father's remains were recovered about 10 years later. And they flew him to Dover, and the family went there, and it made Time Magazine, and I shared that on our Facebook page and saw a comment on there that said I was on the ground that day. And I thought, wow, you know, one of those guys saw this, and what a small world this is. And uh, coincidentally, our next-door neighbor was making a, a wooden flag for us for our, our gala as an auction item. He was a retired Army SF guy, and we had filmed a video about him making this flag. And in the video, he talked about a guy that he didn't even know uh, a guy that was a stranger gave his life for him. Well, we were going over to pick up the flag, and he says, "Hey, I saw your Facebook post, and my next door neighbor was one of those spec ops, or you know, one of those guys that lived because Troy Gilbert made the ultimate sacrifice." And he said, "Man, I would love to connect with the family and, and talk to them." And we called the mom, and uh, she was overwhelmed. And we flew her out to the Angel Gala, and her twin daughters had him in the audience. And when the auction, um, we played the video and. I brought up uh, Kevin and thanked him for donating the flag. And I said, hey, in, in the video, you said a stranger gave his life for you. Well, we've got some people that don't want to be strangers anymore and introduced them. And it was powerful. And they mm -hmm. talked till one in the morning. And then uh, Kevin ended up taking uh, the boys hunting and uh, worked on a cabin that's built and, and named in honor of their father. So I'm just I could keep going on yeah, and on and, with stories uh, of successes that are more than just getting a kid in soccer. And that's that's the amazing thing about this is, like you said, you don't understand what the long-term impacts are. But really, and you've mentioned resilience before, but um, many people, of course, are, are familiar with post-traumatic stress and yes. sort of the negative impacts being exposed to trauma. But what you're talking about is post-traumatic growth, right? So becoming Absolutely. stronger um, after a, a traumatic incident and, and nothing more traumatic than a child losing their father, whether you're they're our age or, or of course, younger, yeah. uh, losing their parent. Um, but, but just the instances of post-traumatic growth 
um, in that family, in the spouse, in the children, in the, the, the men who were able to finally thank someone that they that had sacrificed. There's there's so many different yes. ways to come. And I, I call talk about it in the insight segment, coming out the other side of the valley of death, stronger rather than broken or, as you said, in a victim mindset. Absolutely. Yep. And I love that term, post-traumatic growth. I'm going to use that. <laughs> That's great, you, and, and but you and you have been used. I mean, that's, yeah, I just that's didn't know thing, it. Just didn't use that term. Really what that, Absolutely, what yeah. that is 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 this is a way for for us to be able to overcome these traumatic events, and that's what you're helping these families do. Yes, that's the goal. And, and so, in again, this idea of being able to um, ensure that the kids have some way to connect to something, right? You know, in, and all of this is team stuff. I mean, even playing piano and stuff and they connect with their teacher, but, but it also fosters relationships um, that nothing is going to replace that lost relationship, but being connected to other relationships, that's another aspect, I think, of what you're doing. It is. And, you know, that's a part, an interesting thing with this, Another uh, didn't know to expect kind of a deal is, you know, the, the the mom is the one that's having to tell the kid to do their clean up their room, go to school, do their homework, you know, all that kind of stuff. And sometimes the kids can start they, they can have a down period. Right. And so they're not motivated. They're not interested in getting up and going out to something maybe. And if they're in between events, well, what, what we've told the moms is um, use us as the bad guy, you know, it's like, Hey, angels is calling and they want to know when you're going to the next thing, you know, it's, it's, you know, what do you want to do? They want you to sign up for something. So you gotta, you gotta pick something and it's not mom harping. It gives her a little bit of a break, you know, because they're having to make all the decisions on their own and they're having to be that, that, uh, the, you know, the enforcer and the nurturer in the family. And that doesn't come natural to everybody. And, and it's, that's a lot, that's a whole lot. And, and again, it's generally really younger couples. So these are, these, it's not like in mid twenties, early thirties. Yeah, 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 this is this is really young. So it's impactful in in so many more ways than it initially might seem. And again, I, I think this is really the the beneficial thing um, is you know, and we we hear the stories. You know, wrote the blank check, and then of course some that that yeah. that check was cashed. Um, but it wasn't just the service member that wrote that check. It was the service member's families and, and often, you know, involuntarily, yes. so to speak. Yeah. Um, so folks who are listening may want to help in some way or know some families who would benefit from being part of the program. What do you anticipate some of the needs are over the next several years? What do the next nine years look like? Yeah, I think one thing we can know for sure is that the numbers of families will continue to grow because even though we may have less deployed troops, we, we still have you know, the cumulative effect of multiple depo- deployments into two combat theaters for, you know, decades, and there's a price to pay for that. And so um, we, unfortunately, we're still going to see suicides, and we're, of course, going to continue to have training accidents. It, it is, you know, a dangerous thing with our first responders. They're at risk right here at home on our own streets. So uh, the first thing is that we've got to continue to grow. And, um, that's that's one thing for the organization the first thing for us actually is we've got to honor the long-term commitment we've made to the kids we currently have enrolled and it's a different model it's a very difficult model for a nonprofit because most of them would give out resources based on what they bring in that year and if they bring in a little less they just give out a little less and it's not a failure for us if we made a commitment to the children and we can't honor that commitment for all of them next year that's a failure so uh first challenge is raise all the funds required from last year again this year 
just to stay where we are and uh, and make sure that we're not going backwards on that commitment. And then, because there is a sense of urgency and there are a lot of kids out there waiting, um, we've got to grow to increase the number of kids that we support. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a challenge. And for those families that might know somebody that would qualify for us, I recommend they go to our website, they go ahead and register now. And yes, we do have a waiting list, but it's first come, first served. So you, you want to get on there early, and we are making gains, and we are growing, and we are expanding. Um, not as fast as I would like to see, but we uh, we are making positive movement, and we are having you know significant impact for those that we can reach. We do have something even for our waiting kids, though, um, a, a particularly difficult story. We had an Air Force family with six kids, and they went on our waiting list. And um, when we called to say hey, we can move your six kids off the waiting list. The mom said, I've only got five now. My two-year-old Lila just drowned. Mm. It absolutely crushed us. And I had a real hard time with that because we didn't get her off the waiting list in time, and I couldn't go back and fix it. And the first kids that we ever supported, uh, it was three boys. They were the sons of the first chaplain to pass in combat since Vietnam. And the youngest one was so little, we did Mommy and Me swim classes for him. And any time we had young kids, we said, oh, let's get them started in Mommy and Me swim classes. And for Lila, it didn't happen. And I couldn't fix it. But what I did was I called the mom and I told her, I don't have the budget for this, but I don't want to hear this kind of thing again. I'm going to try to convince swim centers to give basic life safety swimming lessons to all the kids on our waiting list. And I'd like to name this initiative after Lila. And she was really moved by that. And she came up with a name. So it's Lessons from Lila. And we started that. And we ended up having some people come on board to join us in that effort. And we not only got the kids on the waiting list swimming lessons, but those who we were supporting in other things. We said, you know, if basketball is your thing, stay in basketball. But if you don't know how to swim, let's get that done too. And uh, and we continue that. So when they register on our website, it asks, does your child, you know, know how to swim? And if not, then we're getting them in, in swimming lessons while they wait. And I think that's really, again, another great example of being responsive to needs, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there many times we, especially in the nonprofit space, we can get focused on the mission and continue that. Um, but not be able to expand to meet other needs. And that's not something that's, you're not all, all of a sudden doing youth employment, right? right. You're not yeah. all of a sudden, it's, it's something that's within your wheelhouse, but it also, um, you're able to provide some different things in a different way. Yeah, yeah, and that was an important thing. And it's, I wish we could do something for all the kids on the waiting list, you know, um, and sometimes we do, if we get an opportunity, if somebody says, hey, I will support a kid in Taekwondo, and, and we've got, some some great partners that do things like that for us from time to time and we'll we'll expand that out to the waiting kids but we make it very clear it's like we've got this for now or this is the amount of time it lasts we can't make the long-term full commitment yet to you but if you're interested in this then we can and that's the other thing i think i was thinking about this this um the call to action is yes families and, and yes donations uh, but also, if there are organizations out there that want to provide support, woodworking, auto mechanics, you know, name the broad range. As long as it has child and interest connected to it, you'd support that. Um, but you would appreciate organizations reaching out to you to say, hey, I can do some things to sort of cover this gap for waiting list kids. Absolutely. Yep. And it may or may not be a fit in that area. You know, if we don't have a child that's got that interest, then it's not going to be a fit. But if we don't get the offer, we don't know, and we can't make that connection whatsoever. And for those families that are waiting, you know, that, that's a big deal. And we didn't go too much into this, but gaps in the system. There, there are bigger gaps in the system than I thought there would be. 
and uh, particularly with the suicides, if if there wasn't a, a strong service connection documented from say PTS in the in the records, but it's pretty clear and obvious that that was a, a, a causal factor in the suicide or something like that, we say yes to it. You know, we retain the flexibility to look at it and if it makes sense, and absolutely. Um, but for some of those families, you know, they they're not qualifying for anything, mm-hmm. or they may be in the process of a five or six year long um, uh, appeal. To get that kind of thing documented so anything helps when they're in that situation and that's again the network that you've built right just the 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 people that you know um, it, it's it may be hard to go ask for something but it's easy to go ask for something on behalf of kids absolutely right? I yeah mean, that's the yeah. It's, it's hard to say give me money but giving them money we can do that but that's also something that you can reach out to your network and and help the spouses and and, and even the children um, if necessary, um, at least navigate. Again, not exactly what you're doing, but an ancillary benefit of, of how you're working. Yes, yep. And you know, and for business owners or individuals, there may be a hesitancy to give if you think you don't have much to give, but the littles add up. Um, and, and in fact, we wouldn't be able to operate if it wasn't for small business and it's small individual donors. We couldn't do this at all. So it is impactful and um, you know, offering what, or doing what you can is is by far better than not doing anything and uh to the along the lines of asking people for money you know um that's a difficult thing a lot of people don't want to do that but really it's an opportunity you're presenting an opportunity if if they don't have the interest or don't have the means they don't have to to do it but um really it's an opportunity for those who care about this or want to have an impact if they don't ever hear about it they're certainly not going to do it but there's so many people out there with the means that uh, just don't know about us so if, if anybody's listening and they want to help us just raise awareness that there are a lot of these kids and as a nation, we really, really deserve, uh, I'm sorry, we really owe it to them or we should pay it forward on behalf of the sacrifice that their parent made and, and do things to support them during their most crucial formative years. And there are a lot of people that get behind that. I, I talked about good people earlier. There are a lot of really good people here. And, and I think we're in a land of abundance here in the United States. We're the most giving country by far. And so we've got a lot of capacity to do good, and we can do more. Um, I, I know that there's the means out there, and I keep wondering when, when a Bill Gates or somebody is going to step in and we're going to get everybody off the waiting list. Um, I don't know. That might happen next week. But in the meantime, uh, individuals make a difference. The, the small thing, the small business is huge for us. And we, we, we talk about relationship and family. We try to build the, the organization from top to bottom based on that, that our families are part of the Angel family, but also our donors and sponsors and companies and people that get behind us are too, because we absolutely couldn't do it without them. And see, and this is, uh, again, this idea of the thanks of a grateful nation. I mean, again, you and I, service members, thank you for your service. Um, but those who have passed, we can't thank them for their service, right? right? I mean, that's literally, a, but this is a way to actually take a practical step to be able to support those that made the sacrifice. It is. It is absolutely. Because, you know, the, the thing they would want the most would be for their kids to be successful and grow up to be healthy, happy adults. And if we can help them do that by helping them mitigate the risks that they face while their kids, the additional risks they face because of the, the loss of their parent, then there's a lot of goodness wrapped up in that. Now, you said that a lot of your, your families are here in Colorado Springs. Any ideas of... of um, going to other large military communities, San Antonio, San Diego, Norfolk, Pensacola, things like that? Absolutely, yes. So, uh, in fact, we're interested in building out a chapter model. Um, you know, we've already got kids that we're supporting in those areas, and we've got kids that are that are waiting in those areas, too. 
But again, you know, a lot of people want to see their support be local. It's difficult to be just Colorado based and raising support in San Antonio if you don't have some presence there. And that's where, you know, a group of volunteers that could stand up a chapter to help raise awareness and raise resources to take care of kids in their local area is incredibly impactful. And some other nonprofits have been successful with that model. So that's what we're looking to do as well. And, uh, you know, with the military community we're in now, you know, people that are hearing this might end up in San Antonio or San mm-hmm. Diego yeah. or, or wherever next and might be interested in helping us get that going. So um, uh, there's tons of potential. And that is, I think, we're, I see that as being the way we're going to reach many more kids is through growth in chapters that help us raise awareness. Because first, you got to get people to think about it and think about the kids while they're still kids and not just think that, well, they get they, they qualify for scholarships. They're going to be good. Now, we've, we've got to get them to that phase. And, and, you know, college might not be their thing either. So so it's it's uh, really impactful to get involved and make a difference. And, you know, whether somebody's got a military connection or a first responder connection or not, everybody's got a connection with being a kid and knowing what it was like and maybe being on the team or being in the band or a coach or an instructor, you know, made a difference in your life and just enabling other kids to go through that that otherwise are, are having difficulty because this generally this is the breadwinner of the family that's gone, the protector of the family. So these families are vulnerable and uh, – if the system works, they receive just just above the poverty line um, in benefits. So it's not like they are uh, they're doing really well. So yeah. so we need to we need to step in and help them. I believe. No, I absolutely agree. And and um, I again, you know that I'm a, a fan of the work that you're doing. If people want to find out more about what you're doing, uh, what's the website? Maybe social media. How can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So we are aoafallen.org on you know so on the website. And also we've got Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, and uh, we've got a page on LinkedIn. And we need to build that out a little bit more. But, um, yeah, you know, going to our website, we've got a lot of information on there. We've got videos and, and stories of the families and kids that we support, and uh, we've got a way that you can connect with us to volunteer. So there, there are a lot of ways that people can get involved. And then also when we have events, uh, particularly when we've got something, you know, well, we've got a golf event coming up in September. Uh, September 10th will be our golf tournament. Every year we do an angel gala. We just had that June 19th, and that was that was a great success for us. We had a really large crowd and streamed it for the first time to 300 families. So uh, getting involved, let's say that a local business has chosen us as the charity for their fundraiser. You know, just going, going there, be there. Uh, we've, we've got some really great partners here in Colorado Springs that, that help us make this work. So on our Facebook page, you'll see those different events and activities. So, yeah, connecting as a volunteer, connecting as a donor, even a small monthly donor. You know, a $5 a monthly donor makes a big difference because as those stack up, that's that's some revenue that I can count on. I can budget that. I can know that this is how much we've got coming in monthly as opposed to waiting for the end of the year for giving season and hoping we do well. And that's how we can have the, the safety factor to know, okay, now we can commit to bringing another child off the waiting list because I know what this monthly level is. Yeah, no, I, I think that's great. And, and hopefully – uh, the more as we, we get this word out there, uh, the, the greater work that you're going to continue to do. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you for the opportunity. I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Joe. We'd love to hear your thoughts if you want to drop us an email at militarymind at FCCsprings.com. Next, I'd like to introduce this week's Homefront Military Network Partner of the Week, Prep Connect 360. Prep Connect 360's mission is to prepare and connect career-ready military veteran and spouse job seekers with employers, complement service-based initiatives to fill the prep gap for underserved military members, veterans, and their families. 
Established in August 2012, PrepConnect 360 seeks to give students a greater sense of purpose and self-confidence. This five-day free workshop is facilitated by career professionals and veterans from the Colorado Springs community. Conducted in conjunction with Mount Carmel Veterans Service Center and the Pikes Peak Workforce Center, topics include career assessments, interviewing, career goal development, social media, employer connections, networking, and more. Over the course of this week, approximately 40 to 50 community volunteers and partners donate their time and expertise to work with their students. Following the class, graduates are paired up with a peer navigator from Mount Carmel who coaches and mentors these job seekers. As of July 2021, they have graduated over 835 students from Prep Connect 360 workshops. These service members, veterans, and military spouses are now making a difference in Colorado Springs and around the world. The highlight of the course are mock interviews conducted by community business partners as a culmination of several days of intense preparation. These interviews provide not only excellent practices for the workshop attendees, but also enable employers to connect with career-ready veterans and military spouses with exceptional character, outstanding skill sets, and broad life experiences. At Prep Connect 360, you can expect hands-on focus on your career, community-based feedback, including contributions and expertise from multiple sources, a holistic focus, more than just employment, career, and job, and information and experience. PrepConnect 360 builds on what's been learned in the TAP ACAP Soldier for Life programs and takes you to the next level. PrepConnect 360 is open to any era veteran, active duty, currently serving military service member, and military spouse. PrepConnect 360 is best described as Master's Level Transition Assistance Program, or TAP on steroids. It's a week-long workshop that focuses on you. What do you want to do next? You'll polish your 30-second introduction, get hands-on interview practice with local employers, and learn how to network. This week is all about you and your transition. Prep Connect 360 is only available six times a year. The next Prep Connect 360 workshop starts on September 13th. In order to learn more or reserve your seat, please email prepconnect360 at gmail.com. So I appreciate being able to highlight the Homefront Military Network Partner of the Week. If you want to hear more about the Homefront Military Network, you can find them online at homefrontmilitarynetwork.org. And if you'd like to find out more about the Family Care Center, you can find them at fcsprings.com. The Family Care Center is the Pikes Peak region's leading provider of comprehensive behavioral health for service members, veterans, and their families. They prioritize you and your family with a range of outpatient mental health services, including individual, couples, group, and family therapy, as well as medication management. Heighten your emotional wellness and receive the professional care you need from the caring and highly skilled team at the Family Care Center. So thanks for taking the time to listen to the show. It'd be great to hear your feedback. I'd like to answer any questions you have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for educational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I'm not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discuss in this episode brings up any concerns for you, it's highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family caring for your family. FCSprings.com. Tune in every Saturday, 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF.
and listen to the Companion Podcast on Podbean. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to learn Learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family, caring for your family. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.